Today's guest is Jewel Celestine. Jewel is a collaborative leader with a proven track record of building impactful initiatives. She is a certified organizational coach and senior HR professional with expertise in business management, workplace learning, and organizational development. Jewel has global experience advising both the public sector as well as the private sector, including in pharmaceutical and healthcare, consumer goods, professional services, financial services, and technology industries. Her expertise is developing effective programs that attract, select, engage, develop, and retain talent. Welcome, Jewel. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here today. Yes. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. If you're listening, this is really Black Social Capital in action. Jewel comes to us uh, by way of Dr. Sharice, who you may remember from season one. If you don't remember, go back and listen to that episode. Amazing episode, but really um, highlights the fact that we're using our networks to not only grow ourselves, but grow others. So really excited to, to chat with you today. Our first section always kick off the show with is our community capital segment. It's always a discussion of a professional's journey, their best practices, lessons learned. And we're going to talk to you today about those things. So, Jewel, if you could just kick us off with describing your educational path, how you chose your institutions, uh, your majors and degrees. I think that that's always a, a great place for people to start to get a bird's eye view of your pathway. Definitely. So I was born and raised in Toronto, Canada. And so let's see. So there's fewer schools to choose from than they are compared to the U.S. And so really there was only three options for me in Toronto. And I applied to all three out of high school and got into what I believe what everyone said was the top university. And that's the University of Toronto. And so going there, starting there, you know, I thought I was going to get into law. I was in love with the law. I thought that's my path. I had my whole life mapped out for me. And then the first year of undergrad hit and I just wasn't cutting it. I was not, it's, this was not the same experience I had had all my life where I was, you know, top of the class, top marks, top grades. But what was interesting I found a group of other Black students, you know, it was a Black student union. And we all had the same, very similar experience of this shock of the first year, you being one of many in a classroom, you not being, you not performing the way you did when you were in all your life in high school. And so really having to pivot and change direction. So as I said, I wanted to do law, but my grades weren't taking me there. And so I had to really kind of think through and be practical. I see you laughing. I don't know if this is something that kind of resonates with you too. Had to redirect. The other thing too, I, I was, I'm also a, um, a child of immigrants, Caribbean immigrants. And so there's a lot on your shoulders, especially if you're the first child. And so it's like, you've got to do this. You've got to do this well. So like I said, I had to pivot and think through what's a practical career for me to get into. And so I really start to focus on, okay, let me just get through this undergrad degree. And as soon as I'm finished this degree, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to go do finance because that is where I can get a practical job, make money and do what I need to do. 
And so I did that. I graduated from University of Toronto with an undergraduate degree in political science and history. And I say that the experience that I had there was really life experience. It wasn't the degree itself. It was just very much life. I learned about financial management because that's when credit cards are thrown at you. All kinds of things are thrown at you. Um, Had to make quick decisions around career and life and, and all of that. Made lifelong friends there. So it was a fantastic experience, but it wasn't necessarily the experience that got me into my career. So my next degree, undergraduate degree, was actually in, in business, focused on finance. One of the required courses of that program, though, was an introduction to HR management, and I fell in love. <laughs> it sounds cliche, but I fell in love with the topic, loved the fact that it was business, it was practical, it was numbers, which I loved, but it was also the people side of things. And I was just amazed that you can combine the two. And so I've pursued it. Ever since I've pursued everything, any every certification, graduate degree that you could in terms of that that career area. Awesome, awesome, appreciate that. And, so, and Dr. Jackie had something on your brain. Yeah, look like you do. You said a lot right there. So, thanks for sharing all of that. First, you said your parents were Caribbean immigrants to Canada, correct? Yes. So. Did your parents attend college in the Caribbean or were you first gen? I think it was a mix of both. So my mother went to university late in life in Canada. And Mm -hmm. so I had that, you know, kind of model and that pressure, subtle pressure that like you, this is what you have to do. Right. And this was a constant message I had growing up that really education was the way out, was the way to betterment. Mm -hmm. And, And many of my friends had the very same story where you're the first generation for the most part and your parents had, your parents, your relatives had a lot riding on you, right? A lot of expectations. Yeah. So a lot of the conversations we've been having recently have been about people who are, you know, first generation college students and college graduates and their families. But I think the really interesting topic that you brought up is the like, you had the dream, you had the goal, you were moving towards it, but you may not have had all of the things that you needed. So you had to pick something that was practical. And that really resonated with me as well, because that that is also something that I had to do. Yeah, when I attended college. So I don't know if you have anything more to say about that, because I think that a lot of people attend college, they pick a major, they think they're going one direction. And they make pivots and they really do end up exactly where they're supposed to be. But I wonder how many people feel like this is okay. This is what was supposed to happen. Things fell into place for me, as opposed to the number of people that may feel like, dang, I didn't do the thing, right? Just, I didn't make it. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting there, I've heard a lot of people, they believe they ended up where they were supposed to end up. But a lot of people Mm -hmm. had that pivot because I think also we did, because we were also first generation, didn't necessarily have the network and the information and the guidance to support you mm-hmm. along the way to help you to make the right choices the first time around. And so a lot of people I know, you know, it was a four-year degree, it took them five or six years to do it because they had to pivot, because they had to make quick different decisions. And so, yeah, that's, I think that's a very common story. And I do hear that people fine. But in the end, they're satisfied. Like this was the right path for me. It just might've taken me longer to get here. All right. 
Tell us about your current job. What are those responsibilities that you're you're doing now? Because I'm sure people are really excited to hear, you know, certified organizational coach and senior HR professional. They may not know what all that entails. So what is your job? What's fulfilling about it? I actually really love my current Mm -hmm. job. So this role, I stepped into it the start of the year in January. But I really have to say this has been my dream job. This is what I've been aspiring to for a while. And so it's both scary, and I'll tell you a little bit more about what it entails. But it's right now, it's a little bit scary, and it's exhilarating all at the same time. And so what I do is I'm responsible for learning and development, but also talent development, which entails strategy around like our high potential, our leadership development strategy, where our people are going to be in the next five, 10 years. What are the skill sets that we need? How do we retain our top talent? So there's a lot of things. Oh, that sounds great. I don't know if that sounds great to people. That sounds very great to me. I love it. What is scary is that the role, this is the first time the role is being done. So there's a lot of things that I have to do for the first time. And a lot of things I have to do on my own. So I'm a team of one. And so there's a lot of work. It is great work. And I'm, I'm having a fantastic job, uh, sorry, time. But daily, it's this from one spectrum, one side of the spectrum to the other. It's like, oh my goodness, Joy, do you know what you're doing to, well, you're the only one doing it. So you have to know what you're doing, right? You've got to make all these decisions. And but mm-hmm. I love it. I have to say that I do love it. That's wonderful. Actually, First, congrats, dream job, having someone say that they love their job and they're in a dream job. That's a joy to hear because we all deserve that. And I am in a similar position right now at my job. I am like, I'm the specialist that is responsible for like assessment for the department and some of the academic things, right? So we, I sit in, you know, a lot of different spaces as I imagine you do where I am, like, I'm the specialist, right? I'm the person that everyone's looking to for answers about X, Y, and Z. And yeah, can you tell us a little bit more? Like, I'm assuming in your current organization, you're collaborating with different groups. Yeah. So internally within uh, our town operations, or it might be known as human resources elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So I collaborate across our town operations organization. So that's our talent acquisition team. That is our business partner team. That is our compensation and rewards team. We also recently had an M&A, a merger and acquisition team. So when we acquire companies, how do we integrate their cultures? So that, those type of things. We also have DE&I is on our team as well. So working with all these different people on the team is definitely helping formulate a lot of the learning and development initiatives that I roll out, or I've got to partner with these groups. But outside of talent operation, I also have to partner with leaders across the business. So different executive Mm -hmm. members, and just make sure that we're addressing the needs of their particular part of the organization. So when we look at everything from team effectiveness, like when you look at the teams within our research and development organization, Are they where they need to be? Do they have the right leaders in place? Do they have the right skills? Are they competitive when you look at the external market? Are we losing talent? And if we are, why? Let's figure out how to retain them. So there's Mm -hmm. that. And then you have different types of 
teams with different needs across the organization. So you might have R&D, you might have our commercial team, you might have our medical affairs team. So there's all different types of professionals. And so they all have different needs and requirements. And so trying to just bridge all of those gaps or those differences mm-hmm. as best you can and trying to deliver on the, the common factor first and then being able to specialize to everybody else's needs is what I'm focusing on right now. Yeah. And I bet it's a lot, right? People have different needs, right? Like you said, you have the common factor you're trying to deliver to them, but at the same time, they're like, oh, well, what about this? And what about this? And yeah. I and just I think feel it, like it, I can imagine what your day looks like. <laughs> well, I think it actually, so when I talked about my first degree, when I said, I often say that to people, like my first degree, political science and history, wasn't necessarily the degree to get me the job that I'm in, but it was the degree to help me live life skills. And I feel like I use that currently in my day-to-day, trying to figure out the needs of different parts of the organization. I don't want to call it politics, but sometimes it is politics, right? Trying to figure out who needs what, but whose need is greater, who's speaking Mm -hmm. up the most. And there's all types of things. Like even if you're looking at diversity, equity, inclusion, right? All parts of the organization have certain needs. But when you look at the bigger picture, you've got to look at that equity piece. Is it reflective of racial and gender and all of the other things that we want to look at, right? So there's a lot of different factors. And I just feel like sometimes it's like, okay, to figure out what needs to be done now versus what needs to be done a year from now. And I think that is a daily thing that I have to, to reckon with. Mm-hmm. Like helping people prioritize and understand bandwidth. <laughs> yes. And being able to tell them that, yes, your need is really crucial, but so is this team over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> so there's some interesting things up there. Yeah. Yes, Dr. Yeah. Theo. Yeah. I'm back <laughs> through the magic of television. I think what's funny, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was just about integrating company cultures that as you acquire and do do different processes like that. One of the things that I was really curious to ask you, you know, once I realized that you were in the HR space was like the current trend of people quitting their, their current jobs, switching uh, industries and doing something totally new. What are some of the things that you think are going to be key to helping not only individuals process these changes, but like it's going to affect whole companies and whole organizations as well, right? So what are some of the things that you're seeing as trends around that? Really good question. I think, so yes, I've been hearing a lot about people quitting their jobs and such. I'm not sure if we're having that issue right now. What we are seeing, so we've always been a organization that promotes remote working. So this was before the pandemic. And so I feel like we're not hit the same way other organizations have been. So when you hear, I've been working from home for a year and a half, or I've had to move states for the last year. So now I have to quit my job because it's just not working for me and my needs. We're not having that situation because we've always promoted working remotely. And we've actually in the last year hired double the size of our original workforce within this remote, this pandemic time. So a lot more people we've hired globally or anywhere around the world. And so I think right now, the thing that we're looking at is really trying to accommodate people's specific needs. So what we have had, for example, so we are, we're in the Bay Area. 
cost of living in the Bay Area, is, it's not cheap. And so if you don't mm-hmm. have to be tied to going <laughs> into an office, why even live, you know, why pay these exorbitant rent and, and mortgages and things like that? So we've had a, quite a number of people have left the Bay Area and it's okay because they still have their job. So retention's not our issue, but it's just being able to say to them, it's okay, we're fine with you moving because that is our culture. And just, I think right now, the pains that we're having is now trying to scale that culture because mm-hmm. we did it. It was very easy to say work anywhere you want when we had 500 people or a thousand people. Now, when we have almost 3000 people, trying to figure out like, what does that mean? We're not going to change that part of our culture because it's really important, but it's difficult to address the needs of people who are spread all over the world. And we're hearing a lot of those things as well. Like, are you too US centric? When you set up meetings for the entire company and it's based on the Bay Area's time zone, that's Mm -hmm. leading and excluding out our global people, right? So those are the things that we're dealing with. That's where we're getting some of that employee friction from it's like we're not feeling included so hopefully um, that answers answers your question a bit that's kind of what we're dealing with right now i think that that's interesting because i i hadn't really thought about those kind of dynamics but i see it even in in my work where most of the companies on the east coast and we're here or i'm here in la right there's always like well, when it's two o'clock for you all, I should stop getting these uh, or 5 p.m. for you all. I'm going to stop getting emails. I still make my day easier because it's 2 p.m. for me. I can get work done, right? And so like how those dynamics affect how people feel about our organization, I think is no small uh, feat or you know, thing to consider. Absolutely. Like as, as we think about a, a company that is global in, in nature, maybe even talk a little bit about you know, what you believe the importance of networking is, right? If if you're coming new into an industry and all of a sudden you're meeting people from all across the world and and you're not used to connecting with folks in that way, like how do you go about networking and not integrating yourself into company culture, but really understanding the nuances of, of the space? Oh my goodness, you have great questions. And I'm really passionate about network and mentoring, as a, which is a, a form of networking. I think if you're a brand new employee stepping into an organization, networking is critical. And it might be difficult for you to kind of, for you to take the lead on that as a new person. And so hopefully your organization has some things in place like mentorship programs, or you hear of a, a buddy program or a peer program, which is like as a new hire, you're paired up with someone who could kind of show you the ropes. Also, as part of your orientation, you're introduced to different people on your team who you need to know, right? And it's almost like this 360 network of people that you should need, that you need to know in your role. So that's for new hires. And I think if you've been around longer in your organization, you also need to start to build networks outside of your particular function and outside of the organization as well, just because you get different perspectives. I believe it's also a two-way street. Not only are you receiving information and, and, and things like that, you also should be able to give back to others as well. So if you think of it that way, I think people, you know, if you start to think through like, what can I offer? What can I give back to a network as well is really important. So I would recommend for people to... So why I love saying network outside of your organization is because there could be professional networks where 
others in a similar role are doing things that you need, you would love to learn, you would be able to benefit from. So, you know, I was part of during the pandemic, there was a lot of HR and all of the social unrest. There was a lot of HR specific to Black women, actually, that specific. So, Black women in HR had numbers of network circles happening. And it was just a great space to kind of like feel like, no, where's your mind space at right now? It was a great opportunity to do that. And it wasn't just professional conversations you're having. You're almost talking about like the whole you that was supported in that type of network. And you can't necessarily get that within your job, within your organization, right? So that's why I'm all, I love telling people you need to meet others. LinkedIn, even if you don't want to meet people face-to-face, LinkedIn is a fantastic network. If you, just if you want to know what's the next step, what else can I do? If I feel like I'm stuck in my current role and I don't have the information we talked about in my undergrad, saying that I didn't necessarily have that network of resources to kind of guide me as to what should be done next. And I feel like we have a lot more of those things today. LinkedIn, you don't necessarily have to know the person. You can actually just look at their profile, right? And just figure out, okay, oh, they did this and this. And that seems interesting. Who else have, you know, who else has done something similar? And I think that will help you kind of direct your own career. And then the flip side, like I always say, how can you also give back to others? So how can you also go back and mentor others coming up and sharing and sharing like the lessons you've learned so others don't make the same mistakes that you made along the way? All right, let's take a break. Have you ever felt the need to let people know who you are and who you are not in a professional setting? Well, now you can with a critical race theorist or a culturally relevant pedagogist tea. Get your swag and stay motivated at staymotivatedandrisetogether.com slash shop. All right, we're back. I hope people are taking notes because that was a whole lot right there too. All of the time that we've talked about networking on this show, I don't think anyone has ever really brought up the idea of really taking into consideration what you can give back to a network and like what you can provide to people that you're networking with. And I mean, Jewel just gave you some examples of the things you can give, the things you can offer, whether it's mentorship or information. So yeah, I hope everybody's taking notes. That was good right there. And can I share one little thing that I thought was a brilliant piece of advice from one of the networks that I attended where I was, we were, someone mentioned, think you should have your own board of directors and that's your network. In that network, those should be mentors. It should be sponsors. It should be those in the same career as you, as well as those you can mentor. Right. And also the piece about giving back. Don't just draw on your mentors. Don't just take from them. You can also give to just because someone has more experience, has been around longer. What else, what can you give back to that person as well? Think through that. So I love that piece of advice, having your own personal board of directors. Everybody's writing. I'm writing. (laughs) I'm just going to keep rewinding, get our streams up too. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, Joel, you are a dynamic, right, executive HR professional now, and you have told us a lot about your 
educational path, but we want to hear about your career path because it's so easy to look at you and go, oh, you've always been awesome like that. You've always known how to do all of these things. But how did you get where you are? How did this happen? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So it definitely wasn't that perfect road, but great lessons learned. So my first HR position in that role, I started as an HR coordinator. And when we talked about networks and mentors, I had some informal mentors. They didn't know that they were my mentors. I had two women who would just pass by where I, you know, my office, my desk, and just, you know, they were just kind people. And we'd have conversations and they would tell me what they were doing. And I said, that's what I want to do. What she does, that job she's doing is what I want to do. And that is the job that I'm doing now. So just keeping that in mind. And I do know, I remember 10 years after that job, I wrote back to that mentor, one of those mentors, or both of them, I think. And I said, you probably had no idea. You probably just coming by, just, you know, coming by to have coffee with me or whatever. You had no idea the wisdom and the role modeling, right? You were demonstrating for me. You left a mark, right? And I didn't tell you at the time, but your roots, your path is what I wanted to pursue and that I am pursuing. And so I just wanted to say thank you. That goes a long way with mentors too. Sometimes they just want to hear it meant something, it did something, a thank you. So anyways, after that first role, I went on to the next step in my career. I left where I was because I didn't feel like I was moving as fast as I wanted to. And so I left. And sometimes you have to do that. You have to quit where you are to get that next step up. And so I did, uh, took a risk, was in another role where I was more of a leader of a manager in my position, had a lot more ownership, something that I was not used to. So I had come from a large organization where everything was structured, where everything had to be approved. And then I was going to this other organization where I was like, wait, do I have to get approval for that? And I kept waiting for approvals on things, but it was more of a startup (laughs) company. And my manager said, no, you're the only one here doing this. There is no approval. Just go, just go. And I think that was like that first example of what if I make a mistake? What if I'm wrong? You guys are giving me all this responsibility. I could be wrong. And I wasn't used to that, but it was a fantastic learning opportunity for me. And I think every position after that was very similar. I just took on more and more and became realized what I didn't like and what I did like. Mm-hmm. So in that same role, part of my HR role was to, we had to do a large scale termination. And I hated after that, I was like, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to fire people. (laughs) So how do I get away from that altogether? And what is it that I love? And what I loved was more that talent development side, you know, that performance management side, Mm -hmm. less of the generalist piece where you're you're involved with firing and hiring and all of that and more of these specialization. So that was one lesson of what I didn't like to do. My next role, again, involved things like hiring. Realize I don't like recruiting. It's not for me. And why I didn't like it was because it was this constant turnover. I was feeling, I wasn't feeling fulfilled because it was the same roles that I was filling because there was a lot of turnover because people were unhappy with their, the manager in particular. And we weren't addressing the fact that the manager had some issues. And that was a part of the job that I liked. Let's get to the root of the problem. Let's look at the leadership. Like, how are we going to fix that? But now they're just asking me to, nope, just keep plugging this hole. (laughs) Just keep plugging, like just keep hiring people for this person's team. 
and not addressing this real issue that people are quitting because of the leader, because of the manager. So I realized, okay, Mm -hmm. let me get away from recruiting. And I started to move more and more towards leadership development and learning and development, career development. So how do we get people to be better in their roles? How do we get people to not just be better in their role, but get more satisfaction and they're more engaged in the work that they do? And so over the years, I just got more and more involved with more of that side of things. What do you find are some of people's biggest gaps in their leadership development, right? When, you know, when they're trying to go from, from one role to the next or, or maybe they're switching teams or things like that, what are some gaps that you often see that mm-hmm. people aren't aware of or that you're like, oh, like you need to do this and that, and then it, not a quick fix, but it sets people on the right path? Great question. I think it all comes down to insecurity and ego. So, you know, you're really good at something. And so someone says, you're good at that. I'm going to promote you. You're going to become a manager. So you're in your head are saying, I've never managed before, but I know I'm good at X, Y, and Z. Let me keep doing X, Y, and Z because that's what I'm being recognized for. That's why I was promoted. So if you're becoming a leader, a manager, you need to let go of the X, Y, Z and now learn a new skill and really focus on the people leadership piece. And the insecurity part is, I don't know, this is brand new. I might not be good at this. It's going to take, it's new. I'm going to, I might fail or I might have, you know, there might be some failure along the way, but there's safety in X, Y, and Z. Cause I know I'm good at that. Like that's my thing. And the problem mm-hmm. with that is you are called to empower the people that you lead. You should be delegating. So you asked me one of the gaps delegation is a big gap. Being able to say, I know how to do that job because I used to do it really well, but being able to step away and giving it to somebody else, maybe teaching somebody else to be as good as you were and letting it go. So one thing that is coming up a lot in my organization is that when people are promoted, it's because they're really good at doing the work, the level that just before um, that leadership position. But there are people there to teach you how to do all of those skills, right? So if you're, you know, processing paperwork, there are people there to teach you how to process that paperwork. If you're whatever the the skill is, right, that you're eventually going to be the manager of. But there's no one there to teach you how to be a manager. People just like promote you and expect that you know how to do that. And that is such a problem. And it is just how we operate in this workforce. It's a huge problem. I also want to say what you said earlier about insecurity and ego makes me think that people get promoted and they're still competing with people, right? Trying to show that they're the best at getting that job done, but that's not your job anymore. Wow. You got it. You got it. Wow. The other thing to add to that is they don't accept that they don't understand by doing that. They're actually failing in the tasks that they've been assigned to. It's not about being great at what you were doing. We've already promoted you. We've rewarded you for that. But now this new role we've given you, to really be good at that role, you've got to let go of that skill that you were doing. You are now being measured for how you are developing people to do that job. That is the thing. And as you go from level to level to level, it's letting go the thing that you were a specialist in and becoming a better people leader, a better way of getting people to do the work, right? 
So if you think about a CEO who is a top leader, he or she is not doing the day-to-day work. He or she has to do that high-level skill thinking around, how do I get people behind my vision? How do I empower people to believe, to do the things that I've set a vision for, set the strategy for? They're not sitting here doing the thing and being measured on delivering the work or the output of your organization. It's strictly people leadership. It's strictly getting people around a common vision and goal. And so as you go from one level of leadership to the next, that's how you're going to be successful. Mm. I think that that's, it's so interesting, right? Because, I mean, you can see this literally in the field of higher education, right? So when you're in a student affairs role, like you're, you're directly talking to some students potentially, right? And the higher you go up the chain, the further you get away from the students that you really liked and loved and wanted to work with, right? But I think that that's really interesting because I never really put two and two together, getting away from the skill and focusing solely back on on people, which I don't think is in a lot of people's minds, right? Because I think working directly with people is different than like leading people. And I think that that's a, a huge gap for maybe even myself that I have to just chew on and think about more. You know, like, oh, light bulb moments. Let me help with myself. Hey. Yeah, hey. I think a big thing too in that is maybe even just thinking of it, it as grooming your successor, right? This idea mm-hmm. that you yourself are going to be going to another level, being promoted. Who's going to replace you? So don't see it as competition right? You're trying to groom the person to take your role so that you can move to the next role. And it's almost this like, that is your responsibility, grooming your successor so that you can, you yourself can step up. So is there a story um, you'd like to tell our listeners is like something maybe about a professional lesson you learned some, we know you told us lessons about all the good advice you took, but we'll take more of those because you've given us good advice today. Or like, is there something you did that was scary for the first time that you want to share? Yeah, I think the thing that sticks out of my mind is that I was in a job that I loved, but it was a contract role. So it was supposed to be 18 months and it stretched out to two years. And I loved it. It was strategic HR. It was it was fantastic, but it was winding down. The contract was winding down. And I was at a stage in my life where, you know, I didn't have any... I was I didn't have any attachments in Toronto. Like I had friends and I had my parents and my brothers and sisters and stuff like that. But I was like, you know, really, I could go anywhere in the world right now. So just thinking about this is making me a little nervous because just remembering where I was at the time. So I decided to just take this risk. I saw this, this posting for a job, which sounded fantastic. And it was an international HR leadership program. And it was with an organization that would have you rotating around country to country six months stints here and there. Sounds exciting. And so I said, you know what? Try it. Let's just see what happens. I think it was like two weeks later, a little less than two weeks later, I got a call and I freaked out. I'm like, no, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know why I applied for that job. They have the wrong person. So I didn't, I didn't return the call. They called me two more times for a total of three times. And the third time I actually called back or picked up the phone or whatever. I said, okay, let me just hear what they have to say. And they told me about the position and it was just this, it was just a fantastic opportunity. But the thing was, it wasn't guaranteed that it was my job. I had to come and compete 
It was this open competition for this role. And what it was, so I said it was this global position, but what they did, which was very scary, is they flew us in, all the candidates together, and we had to go through three days of basically assessments together. So this was very terrifying. I'm like, I'm not going to get this. Why would I get this? There was like 10 of us. But the grueling assessments, it was a fantastic opportunity. It was terrifying because it was something I had never done before. It was something that I didn't think I was equipped to do. But I think what got me through it was, again, some of those life skills that I talked about earlier, where it was kind of like, okay, this is the stuff you do that you love doing. Like, like forget the competition. Forget that it's a competition. Let's just have some fun with this, right? Anyways, long make a long story short. I got the role. I got the position. Couldn't believe it. It was a grueling process, as I said. But then the next step was even more grueling because now I was asked to move from Canada to the U.S., which is fine. It's great. Same language. It was fine. But then I was asked to move to Germany. Don't speak the language. Also asked to move to Switzerland. Don't speak the language. Have no connections there. But along the way, although I was terrified, it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Because not only did I get this global perspective, I career-wise, I was exposed to senior leadership executives that I never would have had that opportunity before. I was part of these conversations that I never would have had an opportunity to be part of before. And so I say all of that to say, take the risk, take the chance. Don't think that you have to be 100% prepared because I did not think I was 100% prepared. I didn't think I would get the position. But if it's for you, it's for you. You're going to get it. You're going to thrive. And the benefits, like I always say that that was a pivotal point in my career, not just in my career, but in my life because of all the experiences and the lessons learned that I still use today. And so I would say leap, as my cousin was telling me the other day, it's always good to look what was it that she said? Look before leaping, but sometimes you have to look while you leap, as you're leaping. And so I think that was an example of that for me, that along the way, I was like, what are you doing here? But I was having so much fun. Learned a lot about myself personally as well. And I'll stop there. <laughs> well, that's, I don't know if we could top that. <laughs> well, yeah, group mm-hmm. interviews are already terrifying, but they flew you in and did assessments for days. Oh, with your competition, where you knew look, everybody. Look. Basically, what you said was you won a survivor. And, That's uh, exactly <laughs> what it was. You said, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> got the little tribe bandana. I'm like, look, came out on top. But that's amazing. I think that that's really important. I think a lot of times that, you know, especially in the workplace, we're always prepping, 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 prepping. And I got to be just so, so that I can apply, so that I can do the thing. And lots of other folk. Yes. Insert, you know, who <laughs> don't feel the need to yeah, be that prepared. Really. Yes. So uh, insert, you know, who and you know, who you know, who is. <laughs> but do we have any, anything else that we want to maybe wrap up with, Dr. Jackie? I mean, I am full. I have pages of notes. Okay. I do want to say this one thing. Like, if you are just listening to this episode, if this is your first episode, of the Black Social Capital Podcast, go back and listen to episode three, which is Joel Celestine's cousin, Dr. Sharice Bernard. And you will see all of that, like 
family brilliant. <laughs> you you will see. Look, I'm like, can I, can I be so a cousin? There's so many parallels, right? So I'm many like, parallels. I'm like, I to go back and look at that. I really do. I'm like, look before <laughs> leaping. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, write that down. Uh-huh. Right. Look, uh-huh. look. No, no. Look while you're leaping. Look, see, look, I, I don't left wrong. <laughs> you don't <left> wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm truly excited that you're with us today. You know, I'm excited to see what's next for you in your space and to, to continue to follow you on on LinkedIn for all the amazingness. And I think that one of the things that I would be remiss if I didn't say this is that at the end of the day, as an HR professional, you are connecting people with jobs and opportunities. But I think, you know, what I've gathered from what you're talking about is that leadership is the thing that's the most important, right? The the skills that you carry from place to place are the most important. And I think a lot of times people define themselves by who they work for or why they work for them, those type of things. But I think you show true leadership and, you know, being able to share the notes that you shared with us today. If I could add one thing, just something what we started talking about was, was it a mistake? Did I end up where I was supposed to end up? And so when I look back, law was not the right thing for me. I'm truly passionate. I don't know if you could tell, but I'm truly passionate. I love what I do. And so in the end, your path is your path. You'll end up where you're supposed to be. Yeah, y'all can't see Jewel, but she looks happy. She looks (laughs) at peace. She looks like she is living her best life. I'm I'm enjoying, and this was fun. I really love talking to you guys. I kind of just kept talking and talking. So thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember, the way we build social capital is to build self and build others. We are sure you got some notes on your tablet, computer, or even using a pen and paper. Leave us a review, continue the conversation on social media at Black Social Cap, and share the show with someone you know. Until the next episode, stay motivated and rise together. Social Capital.